Chapter 3 of The Countess of Charny by Alexandre Dumas, translated by Henry L. Williams. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Powerful, perhaps. Happy? Never. The Narbonne ministry lasted three months. A speech of Vergniaud blasted it. On the news that the Empress of Russia had made a treaty with Turkey, and Austria and Prussia had signed an alliance, offensive and defensive. He sprung into the rostrum and cried, "'I see the palace from here, where this counter-revolution is scheming those plots which aim to deliver us to Austria. The day has come when you must put an end to so much audacity and confound the plotters. Out of that palace have issued panic and terror in olden times.' in the name of despotism let them now rush into it in the name of the law dread and terror did indeed enter the tuileries whence the narbonne wafted thither by a breath of love was expelled by a gust of storm this downfall occurred at the beginning of march seventeen ninety two scarce three months after the interview of gilbert and the queen a small, active, nervy little man with flaming eyes blazing in a bright face, was ushered into King Louis's presence. He was aged fifty-six, but appeared ten years younger, though his cheek was brown with campfire smoke. He wore the uniform of a camp marshal. The king cast a dull and heavy glance on the little man, whom he had never met, but it was not without observation. The other fixed on him a scrutinizing eye, full of fire and distrust. "'You are General du Maurier? Count de Narbonne, I believe, called you to Paris?' "'To announce that he gave me a division in the army in Alsace.' "'But you did not join, it appears.' "'Sire, I accepted.' But I felt that I ought to point out that as war impended, Louis started visibly, and threatened to become general, went on the soldier, without appearing to remark the emotion. I deemed it good to occupy the South, where an attack might come unawares. Consequently, it seemed urgent to me that a plan for movements there should be drawn up, and a general and army sent thither. Yes, and you gave this plan to Count de Narbonne, after showing it to members of the Gironde? They are friends of mine, as I believe they are of your majesty. Then I am dealing with a Girondist? queried the monarch, smiling. With a patriot, a faithful subject of his king. Louis bit his thick lips. Was it to serve the king and the country the more efficaciously that you refused to be foreign minister for a time? Sire, I replied that I preferred to being any kind of minister the command promised me. I am a soldier not a statesman. I have been assured, on the contrary, that you are both, observed the sovereign. 
I am praised too highly, sire. It was on that assurance that I insisted. Yes, sire, but in spite of my great regret, I was obliged to persist in refusing. Why refuse? Because it is a crisis. It has upset Denarbonne and compromises Lassau. Any man has the right to keep out of employment or be employed, according to what he thinks he is fitted for. Now, my liege, I am good for something or for nothing. If the latter leave me in my obscurity, who knows for what fate you draw me forth? If I am good for something, do not give me power for an instant, the premiere of a day. But place some solid footing under me, that I may be your support at another day. Our affairs, your majesty will pardon me already regarding his business as mine, our affairs are in too great disfavor abroad for courts to deal with in ad interim ministry this interregnum you will excuse the frankness of an old soldier no one was less frank than dumouriez but he wanted to appear so at times this interval will be a blunder against which the house will revolt and it will make me disliked there more i must say that it will injure the king who will seem still to cling to his former cabinet and only be waiting for a chance to bring it back were that my intention do you not believe it possible sir i believe sire that it is full time to drop the past and make myself a jacobin as you have said to my valet laporte forsooth did your majesty this it would perplex all the parties and the jacobins most of all why not straightway advise me to don the red cap? I wish I saw you in it, said Dumouriez. For an instant the king eyed with distrust the man who had thus replied to him, and then he resumed. So you want a permanent office? I am wishing nothing at all, only ready to receive the king's orders still i should prefer them to send me to the frontier to retaining me in town but if i give you the order to stay and the foreign office portfolio in permanency what will you say that your majesty has dispelled your prejudices against me returned the general with a smile well yes entirely general you are my premier sire i am devoted to your service but restrictions 
explanations sire the first minister's place is not what it was without ceasing to be your majesty's faithful servant on entering the post i become the man of the nation from this day do not expect the language my predecessors used i must speak according to the constitution and liberty confined to my duties i shall not play the courtier i shall not have the time and i drop all etiquette so as to better serve the king i shall only work with you in private or at the council and i warn you that it will be hard work hard work why why it is plain almost all your diplomatic corps are anti-revolutionists i must urge you to change them cross your tastes on the new choice propose officials of whom your majesty never so much as heard the names and others who will displease in which case quickly interrupted louis then i shall obey when your majesty's repugnance is too strong and well founded as you are the master but if your choice is suggested by your surroundings and is clearly made to get me into trouble i shall entreat your majesty to find a successor for me sire think of the dreadful dangers besieging your throne and that one must have the public confidence in support sire this depends on you let me stay you a moment i have long pondered over these dangers he stretched out his hand to the portrait of charles the first of england by van dyck and continued while wiping his forehead with his handkerchief this would remind me if i were to forget them it is the same situation with similar dangers perhaps the scaffold of whitehall is erecting on city hall plus you are looking too far ahead my lord only to the horizon in this event i shall march to the scaffold as charles i did not perhaps as knightly but at least as like a christian proceed general dumouriez was checked by this firmness which he had not expected sire allow me to change the subject as you like i only wish to show that i am not daunted by the prospect they try to frighten me with but that i am prepared for even this emergency if i am still regarded as your minister of foreign affairs i will bring four dispatches to the first consul 
i notify your majesty that they will not resemble those of previous issue in style or principles they will suit the circumstances if this first piece of work suits your majesty i will continue if not my carriage will be waiting to carry me to serve the king and country on the border and whatever may be said about my diplomatic ability added de maurier war is my true element and the object of my labors these thirty-six years wait said the other as he bowed before going out we agree on one point but there are six more to settle my colleagues yes i do not want you to say that you are hampered by such a one choose your cabinet sir sire you are fixing grave responsibility on me i believe i am meeting your wishes by putting it on you sire i know nobody at paris save one lacoste whom i propose for the navy office lacoste a clerk in the naval stores i believe questioned the king who resigned rather than connive at some foul play that's a good recommendation what about the others i must consult petillon brissot condorcet the girondists in short yes sire let the gironde pass we shall see if they will get us out of the ditch better than the other parties we have still to learn if the four dispatches will suit we might learn that this evening we can hold an extraordinary council composed of yourself grave and gervy dupont has resigned but do not go yet i want to commit you he had hardly spoken before the queen and princess elizabeth stood in the room holding prayer-books ladies said the king this is general dumouriez who promises to serve us well and will arrange a new cabinet with us this evening dumouriez bowed while the queen looked hard at the little man who was to exercise so much influence over the affairs of france do you know dr gilbert she asked if not make his acquaintance as an excellent prophet three months ago he foretold that you would be count de narbonne's successor the main doors opened for the king was going to mass behind him du maurier went out but the courtiers shunned him as though he had the leprosy i told you i should get you committed whispered the monarch committed to you but not to the aristocracy returned the warrior it is a fresh favor the king grants me whereupon he retired 
at the appointed hour he returned with four dispatches promised for spain prussia england and austria he read them to the king and messieurs grave and Gervie, but he guessed that he had another auditor behind the tapestry by its shaking the new ruler spoke in the king's name but in the sense of the constitution without threats but also without weakness he discussed the true interests of each power relatively to the french revolution as each had complained of the jacobin pamphlets he ascribed the despicable insults to the freedom of the press a sun which made weeds to grow as well as good grain to flourish lastly he demanded peace in the name of a free nation of which the king was the hereditary representative the listening king lent fresh interest to each paper i never heard the like general he said when the reading was over that is how ministers should speak and write in the name of rulers observed Gervie. well give me the papers they shall go off to-morrow the king said sire the messengers are waiting in the palace yard said dumouriez i wanted to have a duplicate made to show the queen objected the king with marked hesitation i foresaw the wish and have copies here replied dumouriez send off the dispatches rejoined the king the general took them to the door behind which an aide was waiting immediately the gallop of several horses was heard leaving the tuileries together be it so said the king replying to his mind as the meaning sounds died away now about your cabinet monsieur Gervie pleads that his health will not allow him to remain and monsieur grave stung by a criticism of madame roland wishes to hold office until his successor is found i therefore pray your majesty to receive colonel servin an honest man in the full acceptation of the words of a solid material pure manners philosophical austerity and a heart like a woman's withal an enlightened patriot a courageous soldier and a vigilant statesman colonel servant is taken so we have three ministers dumouriez for the foreign office servant for war and lacoste for the navy who shall be in the treasury clavier if you will he is a man with great financial friends and supreme skill in handling money be it so as for the law lord a lawyer of bordeaux has been recommended to me Durantin belonging to the gironde party of course yes sire but enlightened upright a very good citizen though slow and feeble 
we will infuse fire into him and be strong enough for all of us the home department remains the general opinion is that this will be fitted to roland you mean madame roland to the roland couple i do not know them but i am assured that the one resembles a character of plutarch and the other a woman from livy do you know that your cabinet is already called the breechless ministry i accept the nickname with the hope that it will be found without breeches we will hold the council with them the day after tomorrow general dumouriez was going away with his colleagues when a valet called him aside and said that the king had something more to say to him the king or the queen he questioned it is the queen sir but she thought there was no need for those gentlemen to know that and weber for this was the austrian foster brother of marie antoinette conducted the general to the queen's apartments where he introduced him as the person sent for dumouriez entered with his heart beating more violently than when he led a charge or mounted the deadly breach he fully understood that he had never stood in worse danger the road he traveled was strewn with corpses and he might stumble over the dead reputations of premiers from calon to lafayette the queen was walking up and down with a very red face she advanced with a majestic and irritated air as he stopped on the sill where the door had been closed behind him sir you are all powerful at this juncture she said breaking the ice with her customary vivacity but it is by favor of the populace who soon shatter their idols you are said to have much talent have the wit to begin with to understand that the king and i will not suffer novelties your constitution is a pneumatic machine royalty stifles in it for want of air so i have sent for you to learn before you go further whether you side with us or with the jacobins madame responded dumouriez i am pained by this confidence although i expected it from the impression that your majesty was behind the tapestry which means that you have your reply ready it is that i stand between king and country but before all i belong to the country the country sneered the queen is the king no longer anything that everybody belongs to the country and none to him excuse me lady the king is always the king but he has taken oath to the constitution and from that day he should be one of the first slaves of the constitution a compulsory oath and in no way binding sir 
Dumouriez held his tongue for a space, and being a consummate actor, he regarded the speaker with deep pity. "'Madame,' he said at length, "'allow me to say that your safety, the king's, your children's, all are attached to this constitution which you deride, and which will save you, if you consent to be saved by it. I should serve you badly, as well as the king, if I spoke otherwise to you. The queen interrupted him with an imperious gesture. Oh, sir! sir i assure you that you are on the wrong path she said adding with an indescribable accent of threat take heed for yourself madame replied dumouriez in a perfectly calm tone i am over fifty years of age my life has been traversed with perils and on taking the ministry i said to myself that ministerial responsibility was not the slightest danger i ever ran fie sir returned the queen slapping her hands together you have nothing more to do than to slander me slander you madame yes do you want me to explain the meaning of the words i used it is that i am capable of having you assassinated for shame sir tears escaped from her eyes dumouriez had gone as far as she wanted he knew that some sensitive fibre remained in that indurated heart lord forbid i should so insult my queen he cried the nature of your majesty is too grand and noble for the worst of her enemies to be inspired with such an idea she has given heroic proofs which i have admired and which attached me to her then excuse me and lend me your arm i am so weak that i often fear i shall fall in a swoon turning pale she indeed drooped her head backward was it reality or only one of the wiles in which this fearful medea was so skilled keen though the general was he was deceived or else more cunning than the enchantress he feigned to be caught believe me madame he said, that I have no interest in cheating you. I abhor anarchy and crime as much as yourself. Believe, too, that I have experience and am better placed than your majesty to see events. What is transpiring is not an intrigue of the Duke of Orléans, as you are led to think, not the effect of pitt's hatred as you have supposed not even the outcome of popular impulse but 
the almost unanimous insurrection of a great nation against inveterate abuses i grant that there is in all this great hates which fan the flames leave the lunatics and the villains on one side let us see nothing in this revolution in progress but the king and the nation all tending to separate them brings about their mutual ruin i come my lady to work my utmost to reunite them aid me instead of thwarting me you mistrust me am i an obstacle to your anti-revolutionary projects tell me so madame i will forthwith hand my resignation to the king and go and wail the fate of my country and its ruler in some nook no no said the queen remain and excuse me do you ask me to excuse you oh madame i entreat you not to humble yourself thus why should i not be humble am i still a queen am i yet treated like a woman going to the window she opened it in spite of the evening coolness the moon silvered the leafless trees of the palace gardens are not the air and the sunshine free to all well these are refused to me i dare not put my head out of window either on the street or the gardens yesterday i did look out on the yard when a guard's gunner hailed me with an insulting nickname and said how i should like to carry your head on a bayonet point this morning i opened the garden window a man standing on a chair was reading infamous stuff against me a priest was dragged to a fountain to be ducked and meanwhile as though such scenes were matters of course children were sailing their balloons and couples were strolling tranquilly what times we are living in what a place to live in what a people and would you have me still believe myself a queen and even feel like a woman she threw herself on a sofa and hid her face in her hands de maurier dropped on one knee and taking up the hem of her dress respectfully he kissed it lady he said from the time when i undertake this struggle you will become the mighty queen and the happy woman once more or i shall leave my life on the battlefield rising he saluted the lady and hurried out she watched him go with a hopeless look repeating the mighty queen perhaps thanks to your sword 
for it is possible. But the happy woman, never, never, never. She let her head fall between the sofa cushions, muttering the name dearer every day and more painful. Charny. The Dumouriez cabinet might be called one of war. On the 1st of March, the Emperor Leopold died in the midst of his Italian harem, slain by self-compounded aphrodisiacs. The Queen, who had read in some lampoon that a penny pie would settle the monarchy, and who had called Dr. Gilbert in to get an antidote, cried aloud that her brother was poisoned. With him passed all the halting policy of Austria. Francis II, who mounted the throne, was of mixed Italian and German blood. In Austrian born at Florence, he was weak, violent, and tricky. The priests reckoned him an honest man. His hard and bigoted soul hid its duplicity under a rosy face of dreadful sameness. He walked like a stage ghost. He gave his daughter to a conqueror rather than part with his estate, and then stabbed him in the back at his first retreating step in the snows. Francis II remains in history the tyrant of the Leeds of Venice and the Spitzberg dungeons, and the torturer of Andrein and Silvio Pellico. This was the protector of the French fugitives, the ally of Prussia, and the enemy of France. He held Ambassador Noailles as a prisoner at Vienna. The French ambassador to Berlin, Segur, was preceded by a rumor that he expected to gain the secrets of the King of Prussia by making love to his mistresses. This King of Prussia was a lady-killer. Segur presented himself at the same time as the envoy from the self-exiled princes at Koblenz. The king turned his back on the French representative, and asked pointedly after the health of the Prince of Artois. These were the two ostensible foes. The hidden ones were Spain, Russia, and England. The chief of the coalition was to be the King of Sweden, that dwarf in giant's armor whom Catherine II held up in her hand. With the ascension of Francis, the diplomatic note came. Austria was to rule in France, Avignon was to be restored to the Pope, and things in France were to go back to where they stood in June 1789. This note evidently agreed with the secret wishes of the King and the Queen. Dumouriez laughed at it, but he took it to the King. As much as Marie Antoinette, the woman for extreme measures, desired a war which she believed one of deliverance for her, the king feared it, as the man for the medium, slowness, wavering, and crooked policy. Indeed, suppose a victory in the war. He would be at the mercy of the victorious general. Suppose a defeat, and the people would hold him responsible, cry treason, and rush on the palace. In short, should the enemy penetrate to Paris, what would it bring? the king's brother, Count Provence, who aimed to be regent of the realm. The result of the return of the runaway princes would be the king deposed, Marie Antoinette pronounced an adulteress, and the royal children proclaimed, perhaps, illegitimate. 
the king trusted foreigners but not the princes of his own blood and kingdom on reading the note he comprehended that the hour to draw the sword for france had come and that there was no receding who was to bear the flag of the revolution lafayette who had lost his fame by massacring the populace on the paris parade ground Lucknay, who was known only by the mischief he wrought in the seven years war and old rochambeau the french naval hero in the american revolution who was for defensive war and was vexed to see de maurier promote young blood over his head without benefiting by his experience it was expected that lafayette would be victorious in the north when he would be commander-in-chief de maurier would be the minister of war they would cast down the red cap and crush jacobins and girondists with the two hands the counter-revolution was ready but what were robespierre and the invisibles doing that great secret society which held the agitators in its grasp as jove holds the writhing thunderbolts robespierre was in the shade and many asserted that he was bribed by the royal family at the outset all went well for the royalists lafayette's lieutenants two royalists dion and Biron, headed a rout before lee the scouts dragoons still the most aristocratic arm of the service turned tail and started a panic the runaways accused the captains of treachery and murdered dion and the other officers the gironde accused the queen and court party of organizing the flight the popular clamor compelled marie antoinette to let the constitutional guard be abolished another name for a royal lifeguard and it was superseded by the paris national guards ah oh, charny charny where were you you who at varennes nearly rescued the queen with but three hundred horsemen what would you not have done at paris with six thousand desperados charny was happy forgetting everything in the arms of his countess End of chapter 3. Recording by John Van Stan, Savannah, Georgia.